The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. with each other. Let's stop that, please. <laughs> Start to make your way back to your seats. And uh, if you've got some good conversations going, saying hi to some folks, I encourage you to continue those later as well. Uh, feel free to keep hanging out after our worship time, grab refreshments, all that good stuff, and, uh, and continue to get to know one another. Uh, so I don't know if I mentioned before, my name is Jason. <clears throat> I am one of the pastors here with uh, these folks at Arson, along with Mike, who is up here, and actually Scott, one of the pastors, is, was uh, with the band as well tonight. It was a, uh, the, a, the A team, superstars are up here playing today, or something. Uh, my one story, it's only fair that I would share, uh, was not so much, it wasn't ethnically, but it was very much culturally, where I was in the minority. I grew up in, in northern Maine, a, I, I am a kind of a Yankee kid, if you will. Um, and I worked at uh, summer camps, part of what was shaped my calling to be a pastor. And as this northern man Yankee kid, I thought it would be really smart to go work at camps in the Appalachian region of the South. And so I was down there, and man, people are different across different cultures in this country. Yeah, it is, not, it is, a, it is a bunch of different states. It is not just all one giant melting pot per se. And so very interesting to be in a place where assumptions and outlooks were not the ones that I brought to that. Uh, and so the uh, kind of the closing moments of, uh, of being at one of these camps, uh, there was this uh, oh, relatively attractive young southern belle that for some reason I was, I was talking with. And, uh, and we were saying goodbye, um, taking way longer than I needed it to. Uh, and so in my, in my just very uh, polite uh, northern way, I was finishing our little conversation, and I just said, well, all right then, because, yeah. you know, A-L-L-R-I-G-H-T-T-H-E-N, all right then, because I was done. To her ear, it was, all right then, you know, like I'm going to write her notes. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't happen. So... Yeah, sometimes we're in the minority, right? Uh, sometimes we just feel like getting out. But then for us who aren't in the minority in those situations, what do we do as well? So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, the backstory or the backdrop to this, this time tonight is this whole series that we're in the middle of. So if you're here for the first time or haven't been around for a few weeks, we're, we're really entering the second week, but the first normal week, if you will, of a series called Neighborhood Matters. And, uh, and I'll mention some of the things we did last week uh, in a moment, but this is the first Sunday we're kind of diving into God's word more specifically. And the pastor's scripture that shapes why we're talking about the individual topics this, this series comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1. And feel free to just listen in. I'm reading it from the message translation, a more modern, idiomatic uh, translation, because I, I like the way it puts this together. This is, in a sense, our theme verse for this whole series and for all the serving that, that took place last Sunday, uh, where we went out into the, into the neighborhoods instead of having our regular worship gathering. 
So it's the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning of verse 14. And it simply says, The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So neighborhoods matter to God so much that he shows up and puts on flesh and blood, takes on our full humanity, lives, dies, rises again, is fully engaged. And therefore, neighborhoods should matter to us. So that's what sets us on this course these next few weeks. The other piece we want to look at is is an assumption that we have. It's a theological assumption, I suppose, that God is at work before we show up. Like those, you know, imagine there's several of you that claim to be followers of Jesus. I'm hoping there's several that don't, because that's sort of the mix we like to have here. You know, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't go find stuff for God to do, and then we bring them along and say, you would not believe the project I've got for you. You know, there's some things over here that you could really, I think you could tear it up. I'm, I'm going to stand back and watch, but apparently you weren't aware of this, uh, so I'm going to share that with you. No, that, God's always there first, pulling us in, sometimes dragging us in. And so it shouldn't surprise us then if there's some kingdom of God activity going on outside the scope of a local church. And so we suspect that if we look at what God might be doing in these neighborhoods right around us, we may have some things to learn as well. And there may be some intersections, some kingdom of God crossroads between God's activity in our neighborhoods that he may be calling us to join in with and what he clearly says in Scripture. And then the call on us is to connect those two. So as we look around, one of the places we're starting this week is with Swilberg. Swilberg historically was pig farms and slaughterhouses. It's just, just good times for pigs here across the street. So if you see the little mascot cartoony pig thing, that's where that comes from. It has a smile on his face because, well, it's no longer slaughterhouses over there. <laughs> but uh, we have some, some folks here that live in Swilberg. I, I know we got lots of folks here. Yeah, uh, Bob and Wayne, they're like the, uh, the, el- the elder statesman Muppets. I, I want them up there. These times, <laughs> yelling, just yelling. Um, Wayne here, uh, when these guys first started coming, here's our little bit of diversity here is that we have some folks over the age of 70, because uh, our average age is like 27. But uh, I always appreciate when, uh, when Wayne started coming, he came in the morning first, which, as Mike said earlier, tends to be a little quieter, though that's all relative here. And then he wanted to come check out the evening service. I said, well, you know, it's a lot louder. And he'd, he'd already come once or something, and I, I didn't really apologize, but I kind of was checking out. And he said, oh, that's no big deal. I just turned down my hearing aid. So, so, um, so get some Swilberg folks. But anyone knows what the Swilberg neighborhood is like? Can you picture it? I'll describe it here for you. It starts right here across the street, Field Street to uh, Goodman, a little bit of Monroe Ave, and 490s, this area. And it's truly one of the most diverse neighborhoods in Rochester. Let that sink in. Because it's, it's a real amazing blend. It's not just a, an ethnic enclave with one particular people group represented, you know, whether it's, you know, African-American, Hispanic, um, white guys with weird shoes in the neighborhood, the arts, you know. There's, uh, there's, there's, they're all there, uh, and many more. Uh, uh, Somali refugees that we've had some connections with moving into there. It's a very, uh, you know, so culturally, ethnically, Socioeconomically, it's very affordable to buy houses, to rent there. To, uh, it's also, there's landlords and real estate investors who own whole blocks and all that stuff. So culturally, ethnically, socioeconomically, very diverse. And it's right on our doorstep. 
So we probably should pay attention to that. But we could check ourselves a little bit and, and just question whether it's worth doing that. Because when we talk about diversity, what goes through some of our minds? Oh, great. You know, another workplace training seminar. You know, just something to make me feel bad about, you know, whatever. Uh, is it just going to be something like I sign off on at, at school? Or is it just more of a solve for some middle-class guilt that a few of us feel. And if we just agree that we all think these are good ideas, we can you know, go home and feel better about ourselves. And so is it worthwhile? Well, however we feel about that is, well, I'll say it this way, as one of your pastors, your feelings don't matter a whole lot to me. <laughs> that doesn't surprise a bunch of you. But that's a really poor starting point, am I right? How many of you have done some major life choice based on your feelings and didn't regret it? Yeah, yeah, no hands. That's right. It's a horrible place to start. What Scott Williams was talking about there, there was a lot of feelings kind of flying around in that era. And if everyone did what was their feelings, not a whole lot would have been done. So something a little more grounded and authoritative might be a better starting point. So let's turn to Scripture. And here's another assumption I'm going to make. That if God's at work in the world, long before we show up, he probably has a sense of where he wants it to all go. Like he has a picture in mind. And wouldn't it be great if he let us see that so we could know what we're shooting for here as well? And so if you ever, you know, reading books there, like a mystery novel, you know, if you just flip to the end, it'll tell you who done it and, and why and candlestick in the parlor, um, Colonel Mustard. So... The place we turn to in Scripture is the book of Revelation. Uh, and I'm begging you not to call it the book of Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. And it's chapter 7. And we're going to stay away from the, uh, the weirder stuff. There's not going to be many-headed dragons or, or this is a 5 p.m. service, whores of Babylon. We're just going to stay away from that stuff tonight. And though it's fun stuff to talk about, uh, and instead go with some of the parts that are actually rather straightforward, but perhaps a little more difficult and getting all worked about, about whether it's the symbolism for black helicopters and who's in power in the Middle East, and which, from my perspective, had almost nothing to do with why uh, the book of Revelation was given as a gift uh, to the early church. So this paints a picture of where God is taking us. And the one writing this, uh, sharing this with us, is the Apostle John, John the Evangelist, um, who is the only apostle to die of old age. Judas, you know, committed suicide. Everyone else, including his replacement, was martyred for their faith. John got to live to old age, though he was exiled to the island of Patmos, so he even suffered for his faith as well. And in those closing years, as a lot of turmoil was going on in the church, uh, he was given these series of, of revelations. And here's one of them. And it speaks to this issue, and it's the picture of where this is all supposed to end up. So Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. It's on page 999 in the Red Bibles. You feel like following along. So John says, After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white with palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. 
speaking there of that Lamb of God, Christ, that perfect once and for all sacrifice. And catch the picture painted there of where it's all supposed to end up. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every operating system, every mobile phone platform. You know, that's who I'm talking to here, right? Uh, All the distinctions, they all just blend and go away until it's all oneness, right? No, but they're all together with each of their distinctions part of a worship of God. But it's not just a picture of what's going to happen eventually. Because when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, it's, it's in our midst, it's, it's amongst us, he's speaking about that breaking through. So that's where we come in. How do we see this picture and some of the realities of the neighborhoods around us and the calling of Scripture? How do we start doing that? It might be hard to do, right? So let me start with the easy stuff. Just some practical ways we could start addressing the issue that, as Scott Williams says, church diversity just, it sucks. We're not good at it. We, we don't do it well. So before I bring the first one up, though, my suspicion is that as soon as it pops up there, a few of you are going to go, eh, come on. That's, that's just what regular churches do. Because yeah. we're artists in church. Right? We uh, can't be an artisan church without being all avant-garde and doing things, you know, bizarrely or in the most difficult way possible. You know, more, more times than not, it's like this giant, you know, finger-painted Rube Goldberg where we do simple things the hardest way possible here. Um, but that's okay. That's part of, hey, that's part of the, uh, the ethos here, I suppose. Um, but the simplest way we could start addressing this issue of, of a lack of diversity is by simply inviting, just bringing in. So those who hate that, (laughs) you begin to think, yeah, but church isn't all about how many folks we can gather and fill seats. It's not, you know, a slot on a Sunday. It can't be about some big show that, you know, attracts folks. Sure. It is not that. It's not less than that necessarily either, though. And that's where I think we sometimes stumble here. So the idea that this could just become a show, that we're just treating people as projects and see how many we can gather together, let me suggest that is not the sin this church community is going to fall into. At least no time soon. That's not going to be our issue. But fear, uncertainty, doubt that keeps us from sharing what God's doing here, I think that's more likely to be our problem. So when you looked around and you shared your, your, your one, uh, one of those times you were in the minority, and maybe it was you know, an artisan, uh, let me encourage you that as relatively undiverse as this place is, and there's a flip side of that, right? The, some of the reason for that is there's some unique things going on here as well. So let's not beat ourselves up too much. Um, if we look across particularly this 5 p.m. service, um, there are folks that are gathered here that is the missing swath from most other churches in Rochester and, and honestly in many places. You know, 20-something men. You know, like, like they're going to be at church. Well, it's the majority little subcategory here. And anyway, that's how we think of you people as subcategories. Just no. Um, 
You people? What? Let's not do that. That's not funny. Um, It is a little bit. Uh, 20-something men, average age 28, you know. And we've got both ends of the bell curve now. Again, thank you to Bob and Wayne for skewing us uh, so we're not just a bunch of uh, know-nothing young whippersnappers here. Um, So... So the fact that we're doing some of those things really well, the flip side of that, though, may be it's a bit homogeneous at times, to be, to be quite blunt. But if you look in your personal lives, I bet that's not the case. So here's why inviting can be the easiest way to start addressing this. I can almost guarantee that your workplace is more diverse than what you experience in a Sunday worship gathering artisan. Think about it. Who are your coworkers? Does this look like your place of work? It's kind of interesting. Each, each service today has gotten more and more diverse. This has gotten less and less true, so, so good for you guys, but uh, you're still not there. Um, so they're part of your life. How about uh, those who are students? College, graduate school, uh, elementary, junior high, whatever. Is it more diverse than this? I bet a lot of money it is. I even suspect that the street you live on, as less likely as that may be, even where you live, as self-selected as those places can be, might be more diverse than what we experience here at Artisan. I live in the part of the city where, where white guys wear shoes like these. The neighborhood of the arts. My street... Oh, there's a lot of neighborhood of the arts type folks here at Artisan, but my street that I live on is more diverse than this. So let's assume that God has placed us in, in those situations on purpose, and that maybe there's something to connect there. And if fear and uncertainty and doubts about how we'll be received, how that will work out, keep us from actually inviting that's something we got to get over. So, so taking that relatively easy step, that's a big one. Here in our neighborhood, Swilberg, which is part of the backdrop to what we're talking about, there's some great ways to just invite from there. We did it in some ways this last week where we served in the neighborhood, and we, in a sense, invited some of the leaders from these communities, particularly uh, Swilberg for the, I think the 9 a.m. service was mostly Swilberg-centric. But there's some other stuff going on. Uh, uh, Last year, as we were getting to know the folks in this neighborhood there and developing a good relationship with them, you know, they approached us. They had done this yearly Halloween event called Spooktacular, and they didn't have a good place to do it that year. And so they rather sheepishly asked if this space might be available because churches don't do Halloween, you know. Or they do like the fake one where you dress up as Bible characters and, you know, it's not really, yeah, my son's like, please, that's lame. Uh, I, want, I want there to be blood and gore. Uh, that's why you do the, the, the one where the guy loses dagger right inside the guy's stomach. Great story in scripture. Uh, so that's why I always want to come dressed as some, you know, like the 12 parts of the, chopped up concubine that get 
loving your closest friend. Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll teach the old Bible character, you know, harvest party folks. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, it's just the way my mind works or doesn't. So we hosted that, and we're doing it again this year. And so for those who have kids in your life, whether your own children or, or nieces, nephews, uh, neighbors, what an easy thing to invite folks to. We're co-sponsoring the, the bounce house and the signage that'll go up here next day or two. And seriously, you don't need to do the, you don't need to draw the bridge illustration or the Roman road. You're just inviting people to a bounce house. It doesn't get much easier than that. You don't need to come up with some illustration that Jesus is the bounce house. And if you wear your shoes, you'll go to hell. You don't even need to do that stuff. It's just, it's just inviting them to start experiencing Christ's community. And I guarantee you won't even have to make an effort. The questions will come up all on their own. And you will not know what to say at first. And you'll be fumbling and uncertain. All true. And the Holy Spirit will, will kind of get you out of that mess. As someone says, so what's this church about? Well, the bounce house might tip you off. But here's a few other things. And it'll have an opening for what Jesus is doing here. So those are some, some easy ways that I think as a church community... We've tended to shy away from, for a number of reasons, some of them well-meaning, because we don't want to be on the wrong side of that equation. Again, let me suggest that's not going to happen anytime soon. So inviting is, is an easy way, because already in our lives, there's more diversity than is represented here. But then there's some harder stuff to do that may take longer, may involve more efforts, that the fruit of that may not be immediately obvious, and so it's important that we invite and bring in, but it's equally important that we also invest and go out. Last Sunday was a really good illustration of this, just a living, breathing uh, message, if you will. We preached as a church instead of hanging out here for another hour and a half, uh, as wonderful as that is. We showed up at the three worship times, which is an experiment we're doing for this few weeks here in the fall of three different worship services. And at 9, 11, and 5, uh, we hung out here for about 10 minutes, prayed, and headed out the doors and served and invested, removed graffiti, winterized some, some gardens. Uh, I think, I can't remember which service it was, painted, it might have been the 11 a.m., uh, painted some storefront stuff on some locally owned businesses. Uh, served at a community center in Lyle Ave area, uh, Cameron Ministry. And just showed that we are invested in making a difference. And the response, not to pat ourselves on the back, because that was, you know, 90 minutes of our life on one Sunday of a year. So let's put it in perspective, but put it in perspective this way. The response from the neighborhood leaders was, they were just blown away. It's kind of sad how little effort it takes to just blow people away. It's even sadder how few make that little bit of effort. So I'm both encouraged that we're doing something, but a bit challenged because there's more to do, right? So ways we can invest started last week. And in the coming weeks, uh, we'll keep doing that. Uh, we'll keep doing stuff like that. Be involved in that spectacular thing. You know, not only invite, but 
be part of what's going on. Spend some time. After that's done, kind of 5.30, different family groups. Um, we're just going to go group trick-or-treating here in this neighborhood and just invest the time to get a sense of it. Uh, if you're, I said to her, we had a lot of college students that for some reason 9 a.m. sat in this, what we call the sacrificial row, um, which you'd think would scare them off that, but they, they thought they were going to be funny. They just all sat right there. Um, it was funny. But we just set up the hard chairs because no one's going to sit there. So let's not waste the good chairs. It's just so they're out there. Uh, but I told them, and I'll tell some of you guys, show up as long as you're in costume. You can be like a helper. And you can get candy too. And walk around the neighborhood. Uh, the older you get, the creepier that is. But if, you know, we got extra babies. You just put a baby under one arm. You know, all of a sudden, the candy's for you too. You know? Because, oh, she can't eat that. But go ahead and put that in, right? Um, that's, yeah, yeah she, uh, she likes Almond Joys. She likes lots of them. Um, she has no teeth. I know, but... Um, but if we were to only stay in this one location, would that really be enough? I think God very clearly called uh, the leadership that, uh, when it was the Church of the Mind some five years ago and did not exist yet in real life, had not yet put on flesh and blood, God clearly was calling us to be in the southeast part of the city, in part to reach folks that other churches either weren't trying or weren't getting traction with, to be in a part of the city that did not have an expression of Christian community that was connecting with a certain kind of group of folks. And we took that calling to heart. And I think been living it out. But it also means that there's a self-selected nature to that. Because if you know anything about the city of Rochester, it's, it's divided into quarters, right? You got, uh, you know, Genesee River runs this way, Erie Canal. And we're in the southeast quadrant. We're on the edge of it, you know. I often joke that even though we're in the city limits, to those who are coming in from the suburbs, this does not feel like a border crossing, right? You're just, it brightens right there. You don't even have to, you know, if you come in this way, you don't even have to see graffiti, you know? You can you know, avoid the 490, get off at Field Street, and it's, it's like any other suburb. Uh, it's very subversive of us to be there. So uh, we suck you in, and then we have you buy houses in Swilbrook, as many have done. Uh, but it's, uh, it doesn't reflect all of Rochester. So what would it look like for a church to really invest in that? One that, by so many measures, is incredibly gifted, talented. You know, this, again, this is not to uh, make you feel better about yourself than you should. Uh, but this is an odd collection of, of folks. And I doubt that we're just supposed to keep it to ourselves, even in this relatively um, well-defined space. So I'm going to make, take a risk here and share a little bit about something that we're going to do. And it's risky for a number of reasons. One, it may just blow up and not work. Two, if we tell you too soon, you'll decide not to be part of it. And three, there's probably a third one there. And the risk is we don't know. That's number three, uh, the unknown. Uh, and so uh, as part of the hazing process for this, because uh, <laughs> she happens to be here, Anna, would you just come up for a moment? This, uh, we would not do this normally to normal people, but Anna is neither normal nor is this the normal time. But I want to put, put a face to what's going on here. And I'm not going to keep you up here, Anna, and make you do any, any crazy stuff. But uh, uh, Anna Palo, Valeria Palo, is uh, part of the leadership team. You guys who are members here voted her in. 
There you go. So, <laughs> you voted me in too. Thank you. Uh, so, Anne is kind of my boss, but, you know, not really, but kind of. Um, but Anna has been uh, kind of pursuing this calling us into pastoral ministry. And as a full-time mom, uh, part-time Christian, uh, half-time student, I don't know. It's, it's like it works out to like 320%, whatever it is. Has also been doing incredible pastoral ministry here. But has a real sense of calling to some different expressions than what would happen naturally here. And so, um, so this is Anna. In the coming weeks, she may come and ask you some questions. You're not to run from her, but I want you to see who she is, all right? So Anna, that's all. You didn't have to talk, right? That's pretty good. Um, here's what we're looking to do. We're going downtown. And that's not just a basketball move, which I know nothing of anyways. Um, we're going to take what's going on here and extend it. Because God is always multiplying stuff. He's always putting on flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood. And when we began this, uh, this church community some four or five years ago, we had zero desire to be a regional church. Others can do that far better than us. We would be terrible at that. We've always wanted to be a neighborhood church. But what we never said we'd do is limit ourselves to one neighborhood. <laughs> so what does it look like to be a neighborhood church in multiple neighborhoods? We're going to give that a shot. We don't know. <laughs> Twelve months from now, though, we'll have a better sense. And so we're beginning the process. It, kind of the clock started ticking maybe two weeks ago as Anna and myself and Scott Ashley, who's your chairperson of the leadership team, we all went to a training uh, piece that our denomination puts on about three times a year that I, I have the privilege of helping with. It's a church planting training that's uh, about five days long. Some great stuff, because we're going to treat this, even though it's going to be all part of the same artisan umbrella, we're going to launch it well. And the place we're looking to do this is in that corner of downtown near St. Paul Street, and kind of between St. Paul and Sio, which leverages some of our strengths already. So, like a Venn diagram, we'll do the one circle. You've got, you know, the high-end lofts with the Wi-Fi, you know, some of you guys may even live there already. Eastman School of Music, which we draw a lot of students from. And one of our band leaders, Ben's a, uh, an ethnomusicologist, uh, graduate, master's level. Uh, it just means he plays banjo really well. Uh, <laughs> it means more than that. Uh, but it, means, it does not mean less than that, though. But it means more than that. Uh, Water Street Music Hall. You're going to hear about uh, Violet Mary. He's going to be playing at the club at Water Street Music Hall. That's something Artisan does well. And right there, you have the housing project towers. You have the Catholic Family Center. You have a different mix. And thankfully, we have some pastoral leadership here in the person of Anna who feels drawn to that. And thankfully, we have a church community that says, we're just not going to talk about this stuff. We're going to do it. And so that is going to be one of the big investments that we're going to make in the next 12 months uh, we're going to do it simultaneously with other things. We're going to try to walk and chew gum at the same time. We'll see how that goes. We're probably going to be in the process of buying this building. We rent it currently. Uh, and while we're investing in having a base of operation, like I said before, we don't settle down. We just need some headquarters, right? Uh, we are going to also extend. And you may be asked in the coming weeks, hey, would you like to be part of the launch team phase of this thing? And what you no longer need to do 
is question whether you're allowed or not. Now, you may still say no. You shouldn't say it quickly. But that may be a place to invest and give you a little kind of behind the scenes. We'll pull back the curtain a bit here. Uh, it may surprise you that we actually think through a lot of what we do here because it doesn't always translate. Uh, so often we're doing things for multiple reasons. One of the reasons we went to two worship gatherings, uh, I guess it was three falls ago, and then doing this three-service experiment Sort of the first reason was towards that, that first idea. We wanted to create space to invite in. Um, and so we're still experimenting with ways to do that because this is a high bandwidth experience, a great place for people to engage God's word, his people, ask the tough questions, feel welcomed. But there's also a bit of a, a subtext with that because particularly with this three-service experiment, which we may push pause on when our college students are are at home and people are traveling around in December and kind of January, may push pause, go back to two, and then Super Bowl Sunday, we're thinking, you know, kind of have two big morning worship services, and then just uh, football and, and other things in the evening service. We have some undocumented features that if you show up, you'll find out. We do Super Bowl parties a little different at this church. You don't come dressed as a Bible character, for one, um, but there's some other stuff, too. And it may involve Pastor Mike behind what looks remarkably like a bar and wrist straps, but that's all I'm going to say. Anyway, some of you just found out this is not the church for you, and a whole bunch more of you said, yes, finally, Jesus, I found the church. So, um, but one of the reasons we went to three worship services is so we can go back to two, or maybe even one. Because we're not going to start Artisan Downtown the way this thing was. We are what is called a pioneering church plant, which usually means you die of dysentery or starvation or, you know, or you're attacked by, by the locals. Um, and so Artisan as is, we're still working with the language because it's all going to be Artisan, but Artisan as is started the toughest way possible, the riskiest way, and that was without any parenting church or partnering churches. It was just us, a dream, and, you know, and some chapstick or something. We had nothing. Um, our coach, Larry, uh, was, was a big help in all that. But, uh, you know, we're not going to do that to the next thing. So one of the things that will happen is at least 30 people, and I bet it'll be closer to 50 or 60 when it's all said and done, will make that their place of worship. They'll make that their ministry uh, location, if you will. So just wanted to share that risky bit of here's what's coming. Because we're not playing at this stuff. We're not playing at it here in our own lives. And we're going to keep challenging ourselves. And so hopefully you'll feel uh, a great freedom to do some of those risky things. Uh, to invite and to even have in mind that if this isn't quite the perfect place for your friend just yet to invite, and you'd be surprised how much people will put up with when Jesus is real in the midst of folks. You know, the church I came to Christ in, uh, in my teen years, uh, it was culturally different. <laughs> they, weren't, they didn't speak my language. It's a wonder they put up with me. But they loved God. They loved me. And the fact they didn't know all my cultural references meant almost nothing at all. But 
if there's folks in your life that's not quite the perfect fit, but you know they'd be fired up about this downtown thing, now you know. Now you know. And so invite, bring in, invest, go out, because God has painted a picture of what his church is to look like, not in some eschatological future age, but breaking through here and now. The word became flesh and blood, moved into the neighborhood. And with the spirit of Christ, we continue that work so that diversity in the church no longer needs to suck. It could start looking like this. Amen? Let's pray. So God, we do thank you for for a clear calling and and a sense of of really destiny for what a church should be in this day and age. Thank you for where you've placed us here on the doorsteps of, of Swilberg within arm's reach of downtown and that you've placed us in a, in, a, in a workplace, a school, a neighborhood that reflects some of the diverse that you want to see part of your kingdom at work. And so help us overcome the fear, the uncertainty, and the doubts. Let your perfect love cast out that fear so that all that remains is the only fear worth paying attention to. That reverent awe, that fear of you, Lord. The fear of a, a sense of awe and reverence of a child to a parent's of younger brothers and sisters to that older brother, that eldest brother who's gone beforehand. And with gratitude and courage, let us pursue diversity, not because it's some politically correct uh, thing that we say we should do, but because it's a biblical calling and reflects your heart, God, for a broken and divided world. Help us do those things, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, each week we give uh, folks a chance to respond to God's word. And the communion table is a wonderful place to do that, where these, these emblems, these sacraments of the body and blood of Christ, these physical reminders are there for us. And as a, as a reflection or a, uh, a meditation as we head towards communion, I want to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 21. It says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know him no longer that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. The old divisions, the old dividing lines, the old us and them distinctions, they pass away in Christ. See, everything has become new. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And here's the scary, exciting part. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world, every tongue, tribe, language group, people group, Linux, Mac, PC, Palm Pre, iPhone, if you really know Jesus and you had that second blessing. You know, that's some of your... Uh, all of those things 
are brought into the fold of Christ. Reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses and sins against them. And again, the scary, exciting part. Let this sink in. And entrusting. It's a big word. Entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me pray for our communion time and then respond as God leads you. So God, it's, it's in light of that reconciliation in Christ that those who are seeking to follow after you, Jesus, we approach this table, tearing that piece of bread representing your broken body because when the word takes on flesh and blood, it risks something, even death, death on a cross. We take that piece of bread and we dip it in the wine of the juice there, that emblem of your spilled blood for the forgiveness of our sins. And we take and eat as an act of spiritual nourishment because we need it to get over our weaknesses, our shortcomings, our fears, and do the work of inviting and investing in the lives of everyone around us. And so let us approach the table in awe and thanksgiving, knowing that you have reconciled us to yourself and now give us the incredible privilege of being your ambassadors to all peoples in our neighborhoods, our workplaces, across the street, in downtown. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. The table is open. Respond as God leads you. Uh, if you want to talk and pray with anyone, feel free to grab me up. Catch one of us afterwards. Uh, worship as God leads you. This has been the Artisan Church Podcast. To receive future podcasts, go to www.artisanchurch.com slash podcast or subscribe on iTunes. Thank you for listening.